Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of the Extra Point Podcast. Today is Tuesday, February 27th. My name is Todd Stiles. I want to welcome you back. I'm one of the pastors here at First Family. And the Extra Point Podcast is all about bringing some extra insight, further observation, perhaps even deeper application to the text from which we preached the previous Sunday. We are still in Galatians chapter 5. We're looking at the fruit of the Spirit in a series called Living Proof. We've been taking about two aspects of the Spirit's fruit each week. And if you've been there, you know, you've, uh, you've known that our elders are actually co-teaching this with me. I bring a very short and simple introduction, or Pastor Travis does, and then one of our other elders brings more insight into that aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. I think the first week we did one aspect, which was love, and since then we've done two each week. And so that's what we're looking at. It's rooted in Galatians 5, but we have looked at several other scriptures throughout uh, this seven-week series. We're kind of on the home stretch now. And I've got a very interesting question to bring to the forefront today, and it deserves a good bit of attention. So this will occupy all of our attention on today's episode. Let me read for you the question that came from one of our small group leaders. I think it's a fantastic question. He was relaying to me even how they had some really uh, good discussion about it. But the essence of the question is this. This is straight from his email. He asked, why is it that there are unsaved people in our life that show one or more of the fruit of the Spirit, even though they're not living by the Spirit, but rather living by their flesh? And so he asked, you know, it seems like lost people can actually show aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, and they seem to be showing it genuinely to some degree. And so why is this the case? He says later, of course, that this led to other questions, and they had a fantastic discussion um, about the fruit of the Spirit and how is it that lost people can seem to be joyful or peaceful or loving or self-controlled or gentle when they're actually not even a Christian. So let's see if we can talk about this and find some um, reconciliation in the tension that exists within us about this. First of all, let me just say that even uh, an unbeliever a lost person can experience aspects of, or can we say the effects of, God's creation or God's created concepts. Like, for instance, God created the world, the earth. It is a blessing to his people, but it also blesses those who are not his people. You know, the New Testament paints it like this, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, and so there are aspects to God's creation that are universal, and they bless everyone, and there are aspects of God's created concepts that bless everyone. In some ways, that is how the fruit of the Spirit works. They are concepts that God created. They're character traits. They're things that are real. They're tangible, uh, felt uh, actions, love. Uh, joy, self-control. And so not only does the Holy Spirit produce these in His people, but those who are around those people, even if they're not a Christian, they can often experience the blessings of those, and they can, in turn, sometimes mirror that behavior so it looks like they, too, are self-controlled, and they actually may be, to some human extent, they look like they may be loving, and they actually may be to some human extent. But it isn't 
produced by the Holy Spirit. And so I think it's important to understand that God's creation or created concepts do have experiential blessings to all people to some degree. So that's one of the factors going on here. I think it's important to understand this as well, that even, let's say, when a lost person experiences the blessings of one of God's created concepts, even though they may be experiencing it through human effort, uh, they may be watching it in someone, not understanding it, and thinking, I would like to add that to my life, or I want to adopt that behavior, or I want the benefits of that discipline or of that um, uh, attitude. They may adopt some form of that, but it isn't uh, that adoption that saves them. That, that, in other words, mirroring that behavior is not salvific. And here's what's ironic. The minute they think it is, if someone who's lost, let's say, sees a genuine Christian loving in an unconditional, sacrificial way like God, or exerting self-control, mastery over their uh, desires that are wrong, or, or, you know, joy. If they see someone genuinely being led of the Spirit in this way, then they try to imitate that, and they do to a certain degree, the minute they think that's salvific or that it earns them something with God, it corrupts the entire action, which proves that we're not saved by our own effort. Because when our actions have an, a selfish ultimate end like that, thinking, well, I've earned some points with God, I've increased my standing, I've gotten some favor, then that action is actually polluted at its core. It's selfish. And so, ironically, even the best of persons from a human perspective, even though they're lost, the minute they try to do something that looks like it's spiritually produced, but it's for the wrong reasons, it's for their own advancement or to impress God or to win favor or to think they're earning standing, it actually does the opposite. It shows that that's not produced by the Spirit. And so I just think we have to understand that there's a lot about this that we can't discern and judge um, because it is something produced by the Spirit. Um, we have to trust that He's working this in our lives, those who are genuine Christians, and then understand that often those concepts, those realities of the spiritual life can be a blessing to even those who aren't part of God's family to the degree that sometimes they can even adopt that behavior on the outside or externally. They can mirror those habits, and they can, in some sense, experience the blessings from that. But they are not salvific. They don't save. Those actions, those habits, those things that they imitate, they're not salvific. They don't save us. And so that doesn't mean they can't be copied, though. Now, here's what's interesting. That presents us and poses a, a, a dilemma. We, we look around, we wonder, well, who's really born again then? Like, if they're looking pretty self-controlled, they're looking pretty loving, or they seem very joyful, or they appear to be very gentle. And so we can wonder, like, well, who's really born again? And this is where I want to bring to you a couple of scriptures that will help you reconcile or live with this tension. Because I think, if I'm quite frank and honest with you as a pastor, uh, this is a tension you'll have to live with your whole life. And it's referenced at least twice in the New Testament. First of all, Matthew 7 says that, uh, at the end judgment, there will be those who will say to God, did we not? And they list a number of things they did themselves in Christ's name. And yet he says to them, I never knew you. This is in Matthew chapter 7. I think some key words in that, and I'm 
going to speak on this, uh, I think it's March 17th. I'll be bringing a message from this passage specifically. But uh, the key words in that would be the phrase, did we not? And so you can, you can glean from their response to their judgment that they thought what they did um, is what earned them a place in God's kingdom. And so they were cleaning up the exterior. They were adopting habits that looked good. They were doing things that um, gave the perception and image that they had things in order, but yet it didn't really save. So first of all, understand that this does happen. I say it like this to myself a lot. Spiritual forgery exists, okay? There are many people who appear to sign their names on the dotted line, and they really didn't. It happens in our church. It happens in every church. It happens in God's kingdom that folks see the benefits of the fruit of the Spirit, want it, and try to copy or imitate that behavior to reap its benefits. But that motive in and of itself is illegitimate, and it corrupts. Um, And so we have to understand that it's not easy to spot that. We don't always know when something is legitimate or not at the beginning. Um, We are not infallible in our knowledge. And so we have to realize that spiritual forgery exists, and we can be fooled to the extent that there will be those at the judgment who will be surprised uh, when their real spiritual status is revealed. So just understand, first of all, the dilemma that you see and that you sense when you're watching people who appear to have the Spirit because they're acting in these certain ways that are listed in Galatians 5, they may not be a Christian. They can still uh, experience and even kind of imitate some of those habits, but they're not salvific. And so we don't always know what's going on in the heart of a person. That's just the nature of our of our situation on this earth until the final judgment, okay? That spiritual forgery exists, and we don't always know everyone's underlying condition, especially those um, who, who say they're a Christian, but perhaps they believe wrong doctrine, and they're not, but they act in good ways. Um, you know, when someone says to you, well, I'm not a Christian, that's not hard to figure that one out, but it's those who seem to say they are or who adopt uh, you know, blatantly unbiblical salvific standards and measurements, and yet they say they're a Christian and they live in a really moral, godly way. Uh, we have to just realize that they're not Christian, even though they may think they are. Then there are those who say they're a Christian, they say they believe, um, and they never show any fruit of the Spirit. You wonder, like, are they really saved? So we, we just have to admit to ourselves, we do live with this dilemma, this tension, that we don't know everyone's genuine real spiritual condition. Spiritual forgery exists. Uh, Another passage I think is very helpful to me is what Jesus said to the disciples when they admitted they were struggling with this. Um, They were um, walking. uh, He told them this parable basically of this field a man had, and in this field there um, there was wheat, and then Overnight, someone came in and planted a bunch of tares, or you can just use the word false wheat. And when everything grew up, this field was contaminated. It had false wheat, and then it had genuine wheat, and the field was a mess. And so the disciples said, shouldn't we just go in and get rid of all the false wheat? Let us do this job. And Jesus said the most interesting thing. He said, let them grow together. I'll take care of that when I come. 
And the parable is meant to show us something, that the ultimate decision, the, the final judge, is the one who makes the call at the end. He knows even now. And so while we don't have full knowledge, we can't make perfect estimates and judgments. Jesus is, and he does, and he will. And so we must leave this in his hands. And so often when you wonder about, you know, how does someone seem to be living this way that matches what a Christian should be, but yet they're probably not a Christian and then you have all these questions, we have to be content to just simply let them grow together. Doesn't mean we don't discern, doesn't mean that we don't um, have our own personal estimations under the Lord's authority. Um, we can do that. What I'm saying is we are not the final judge, and we can't solve that dilemma. It will continue to exist. There will always be those among us who aren't genuine but appear to be, and one of the ways they appear to be is by imitating the fruit of the Spirit in their own power, but that does not make them a genuine Christian. So in light of all this, uh, it's a lot of words, a lot of answers, maybe just a lot of ways to think about this dilemma, this tension. Let me just suggest oh, two or three tips, if I could. I would say to walk in this dilemma that exists well, just always check yourself first. Before you look out the window, I would look in the mirror. You know, I, I think it's in the Corinthian epistles where we are instructed to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And notice the intensive reflexive pronoun in that verse. Start with you. Examine yourself. Are you in the faith? I think that's appropriate. It's proper. Are you passing the tests of salvation? You know, that, that you're genuine, that you're not a counterfeit, you're not illegitimate. And so just start with yourself first. Check yourself first. Don't be looking at others with a constant eye of judgment, trying to figure out their condition. Start with yourself. However, I would say um, it is right to discern lovingly and patiently for your own um, protection. You know, the Bible warns against having close, intimate friendships with those who aren't born-again believers. Uh, what fellowship has light with darkness? That's uh, one of Paul's warnings. And so, though we can have all kinds of acquaintances and, you know, service relationships, we can get to know lost people uh, for the good of their soul and for the purpose of evangelism, I'm not against any of that. I would warn us against very deep, close, intimate relationships with someone who's lost. And so as you look at those relationships, uh, you will need to discern what you believe um, is the true status of their conversion, of their salvation. So discern lovingly and patiently when it comes to your closest relationships. And then the last thing I'd suggest is this, uh, as we're told in many of the epistles, let's wait for the coming of Christ the one who will judge the living and the dead. Notice that in that verse that Paul uh, shares with Timothy, he's called the judge. And we're not the judge, Jesus is, and the judge has still not arrived on the scene to give the final judgment. So let's wait for him. Till then, let's discern lovingly and patiently regarding our closest relationships, and let's be willing to start with ourselves first. I think this will help us as we see what this question describes around us. All kinds of people apparently seeming to have this fruit of the Spirit, but yet many of them aren't even born again. Remember, and I'll just repeat myself here for the sake of clarity, all people can experience aspects of God's creation and created concepts, but only those who know Him through Jesus 
and faith in Him alone, uh, generated by the Spirit, regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption, all those things. Only when that happens is someone born again, and then the Spirit produces that fruit. Otherwise, if it's just humanly generated, it's a good habit. It might look good on the outside. It might be a good action. I would say to you personally, ultimately, it's got a hook in it because it's aimed at something for themselves. That corrupts and taints the entire process from a human angle. So it's not salvific. They're simply good habits. Someone's adopted. Someone's copying for their own benefit to some degree. And so we just have to be aware that can happen. It's a dilemma that exists. Spiritual forgery occurs. And so because it does, let's examine ourselves first. Let's lovingly and patiently discern those with whom we are closely connected. And then let's wait for Jesus, our, our judge and coming king. Thanks for listening to the Extra Point Podcast. To find more content and resources to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus, go online to firstfamily.church resources.